0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Elizabeth Hotson, a BBC business and economics presenter and producer. And today I'm joined by Josh Davis, a product manager at Alert Logic, and Fran Howarth the practice leader in security at Law Research. So to start us off, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do and your company, Alert Logic?
1: My journey in security really started as a foot soldier on the ground. So I used to work in the Security Operations Center. You know, I've worked in kind of incident response and threat hunting, basically as a security analyst, analyzing attacks for various um, organizations I worked for. Since then, I kind of turned to the dark side, so to speak, um, I've focused on solution uh, engineering, so identifying ways to solve security problems for customers, before now looking at the product landscape and helping Logic develop those, the product suite for our MDR service. Alert Logic is a managed detection and response company that's really focused on limiting the attack surface or any risk that an organisation might have, and then also acknowledging that we need to be prepared uh, when a compromise does occur, because it's, it's very much a when, not if, and then limiting that blast radius for our customers so they can respond before any real damage occurs.
0: That's a really nice full description. So Fran, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Thank you,
2: Elizabeth. Yeah, I look after security at Bloor, which is an independent analyst and advisory firm. I've been following security for more than 25 years now, having started out when Firewalls, as we know them today, were a new concept and everyone was trying to figure out how to use public key infrastructures. Today, a great deal of my time is spent focusing on threat detection and response technologies and services, which are seeing significant evolution. So Josh,
0: first of all, what is automated response and what are the benefits?
1: Automated response, or or really the context I think we're talking about today is the security orchestration automated response. Uh, It is all about uh, connecting together a set of triggers that can then elicit a response or an action or a series of events that's all automatically done for you. In the context today, we're talking about detection technology. You might see some sort of incident. And then for a predefined pathway, it will then follow based upon different criteria that will result in taking an action within your environment to respond to that alert.
0: Now, I know that obviously this is your area as well, Fran. So do you have anything to add to what Josh has uh, just said?
2: I agree with what he said and this new SOAR acronym that he used, Security Orchestration Response. Instant response used to be something that was done on a fairly manual, ad hoc basis, and it was really the preserve of large enterprises who could afford the budget for the complex technology and had the resources to know how to use it properly. Now that it's becoming embedded into threat detection and response services, it's available to many more organisations and it's helping them to prioritise and create an efficient response. Where they previously were really doing more detection than response, it's kind of levelling the playing field. I think we've
1: got some you know, some fantastic kind of level-setting definitions there. You called the kind of acronym of SOAR. I thought it had an interesting fact, actually, on the, the Google Cloud podcast, shout out to them, that this was actually one of the acronyms that, that the kind of analyst firms, I think Gartner, coined before it actually existed, which is not normally the way it follows. Normally a product exists or a solution exists and then they find a suitable acronym like EDR or, or SIEM. Uh, but really, I want to just highlight the benefits. And I think Fran talked about it being a, traditionally an enterprise focused um, solution or, or capability. Um, and the the benefits are clear for everybody. You know, Automation um, is, makes you more efficient, you know, whether you're a factory or whether you're an IT or security operation. It just frees up those resources for uh, the more high value tasks. If I think back to when I was an analyst, um, there's a lot of stuff that um, initially I would have to do every single time I saw an incident. I would be querying the domain that someone might be checking into, I'd be doing sandbox simulations, Um, I'd be doing uh, reputation checks and the like. And those are kind of the actions that are perfect for automation because it's something I'm going to do every single time that I look at an instantly. If I can automate that out, all of a sudden my time is freed up. Uh, you know, machines are fantastic at doing those, those simple repetitive tasks. They never get bored. They never ask for a pay rise. It means that I could focus on the much more Value-added tasks, the stuff that requires that human creativity, adaptation, and and flexibility, really. Um, So so look at things that machines just simply aren't really suitable for making those judgment calls. That's the real benefit. It drives efficiency, frees up resources in your organization, and key outcome, I think, is reducing that, that time to respond. So you might hear the, the MTR, mean time to respond, is, is often thrown about there. You know, the quicker you can respond to something, the less of an impact it will have in your organisation. If you know, someone is to compromise a user account, for example, um, there's still a period of time before they can do any real damage with that that gives um, us as defenders or as detectors a lot of opportunities to respond and disrupt that before it progresses
0: any kind of technology, there are obviously lots of nuances as to when, where and how it should be used. But I was just wondering, what type of actions do you think positively benefit from this? And on the other side of things, what do you think you shouldn't be trying to automate? And I'll start with Josh and then Fran, if you'd like to come in as well, that'd be lovely.
1: Anything that you can automate should be considered, and the best way to start is look at what are we already doing that we know is repetitive and repeatable, and how can we incorporate that into something that's automated. If you don't have any obvious candidates to stick out like that, then I think in a security um, standpoint, there's there's three main use cases that we've identified that are logic that are probably the, the core security use cases, and that's to yeah, contain a threat, and that would be done by isolating a host or disabling a user um, credentials. Shunning an attack, so using the firewalls that, that kind of Fran brought up at the beginning, or, or maybe the web application firewall, that WAF acronym I used, to block anyone from actually entering at the edge. Then the final piece would be just kind of that notify, make sure that that all the right people are being alerted when these things are happening so that you can orchestrate that response or at least let them know that it is ongoing um, um, and that the actions have been taken that you prescribed.
0: And what do you think you shouldn't be trying to automate? Good
1: question. I've experienced a lot of people who are, who are scared of automation. They're worried that I'm going to give the keys to, to my kingdom to this automation script and, and I might come in one day and it's locked out every single one of my users and you know no one can work. It's basically the same outcome as if you had a ransomware attack. Rather than thinking about what actions you shouldn't automate, I think it's just really a process you should think about when you start automating something. You know, Identify um, that there's an action that, that could be automated uh, and try it out on maybe a lower value host, just a small subsection of hosts Simulate it if you can and add in approval steps so that you can have a human element just to say yes or no, carry on or or stop in in its tracks. Um, And that should then give you that kind of confidence that what you're automating is the right thing to automating. And it's not something that's going to result in an an entire day lost um, when everyone's locked out of their machines scratching their heads.
0: Now, Fran, from your many years in the industry, I'm sure you'll have something
2: to to add to Josh's thoughts. So what's top of your mind? Well, I think everyone has a different appetite for risk and the amount that they're prepared to automate. And as Josh has just said, the incorporation of human steps into the process is incredibly important so that you can be sure that everybody knows what action is being taken and you can quickly roll it back where possible if that automation is causing you further problems that you hadn't anticipated. He said uh, repetitive and repeatable things. It's obvious with things like triaging phishing emails can be done because there is a repeatable process that you do over and over again with this. And you can remediate configurations or kill an exfiltration connection. But you don't want to be doing anything. It's going to be taking a business-critical system offline. So they should be... Many people involved in the decisions before you actually put the automation in place as to what your appetite is and where you believe it's going to help you and where you really should rely on human guidance as well. And of course, SOAR, which we're talking
0: about, is used across the industry. So, what I want to know, Josh, is how is Alert Logic's approach different to the rest of the market? What sets you apart?
1: SOAR has been around for for a while now, and we're at a point now where everybody recognises that the the benefits of automation, the benefits of of a SOAR platform. But as Fran pointed out earlier, it, it's only really historically been the enterprises who can have actual access to, to the technologies and have automation engineers who can dedicate their entire days into facilitating you know, automated response. The things that you need to consider are are making sure that you have the integrations into the correct technologies. That's constantly maintained as APIs change and people roll out new products. Um, Also, then you need to make sure that your your kind of playbooks are are accurate and the triggers that are being uh, consistent. So uh, historically, that's really frozen out a lot of the the mid-market people, uh, small medium businesses, uh, as well as some of the um, enterprise organizations that might not have their own SOC security operations center. Traditionally, it's been a a tool if you have a twenty four seven SOC operation, it makes make things a lot more efficient. It's been used a lot for that instant enrichment, so that an analyst can straight away um, get quicker to that that resolution. Um, but alert logic. then, you know, we kind of looked at that and um, looked at what was out there already and really looked at what our customers need. So we are a managed detection and response vendor. And I think that managed piece is really crucial to what that we do. And if you're looking for a managed service, it's typically because you don't have the resources either in bodies, you don't have enough bodies to facilitate 24-7 operation, or you don't have that expertise. You know, we, we work in an industry that is severely skilled, skills short of, of the right skills. Um, and I think the typical retention for a security skilled security professional is about two years and about six months it takes to get them up to speed. So what we did then was look at our customers who have this resource problem already. They aren't able to make use of automation tools that exist out there. I mean, if you just think of something like um, an Ansible or a Puppet um, that is an IT automation, in theory, you could use that to do your security orchestration, automated response, and these organisations already have that capability to do um, some you know, IT administrative actions. So, if they're not using that for automated response, what they really need is is that that managed element, that advice, that trusted advisor to help them and guide them along the journey for automation. So. Some of our customers are really just starting out. They want automation and they want to start automating a few actions. But equally, we do have some who already have their own automation uh, capabilities um, uh, in-house. They might even have their own SOC. We do have enterprise customers as well. So... I think when we started this out, we were like, we need to get that capability, make sure that we can satisfy all of the use cases that might need to be done. And we added a lot of uh, what we call uh, escape valves for things like just pushing out a HTTP request. So you can interact with any sort of uh, API interface um, or push to an Amazon SNS queue, for example. And that allows people to connect to what they might already have in place. But the feedback that we really got from our customers was, I don't expect that Logic just to enable me to be able to do all these things. Um, I expect them to have a, a point of view on the response. I expect them to help me say, in this scenario, here's what you need to do, and here's exactly how you should kind of do that. What started off as what we now call expert mode, which had all the capabilities, has now evolved into something that we call simple mode. Um, so those people who are starting out on their automation journey, those mid-market customers who, who don't have time to dedicate to um, managing an automation Platform all on their own can still get the same outcomes and the benefits of automation that we described um, earlier. So we've called this democratizing response. I think that's because we're trying to bring it to the masses, um, not just the the enterprise with the large budgets and the large um, security teams. And also that democratised theme has been really helpful in helping us shape this, this automated response. We've had a beta programme that's been ongoing now for um, a, a year and a half at least, I think slightly longer than that. And, and during that process, we've, we've learned a lot from our customers and they've managed to inform how we've developed this. And each of our other customers are kind of benefiting from that insight. So uh, democratising response is probably the best way to summarise how we've approached bringing this to a wider market than just um, the enterprise who traditionally use this technology.
0: And Fran, is there anything that you'd like to pick up from what Josh said? And I'm thinking specifically some really effective uses that you've seen um, of SOAR. So SOAR in action, I
2: guess. The use cases for SOAR include threat monitoring detection, which comes along with threat intelligence, instant response and threat hunting. It covers all of the gamut. And as I said before, it used to be really for enterprise it's now becoming part of many of these technologies and services, although some providers are including it as an add-on to the services that they offer. Where I think Alert logic is um, at the forefront is that they are embedding SOAR into their actual services, and they developed a mobile interface which is going to allow Teams and the service provider to more quickly come in and mitigate incidents and provide an effective response And as Josh pointed out, integrations are absolutely essential and maintaining them and keeping them there. And that's why I think another thing that stands out in Logics offering is that they are vendor agnostic, which means that they will work with any technology that you have in the organization. It's not just that of a particular vendor. And this is essential in order to get the best throughout your entire technology estate and really inform an effective instant response.
1: I think, Fran, you made some excellent points there and uh, really appreciative that, that that's the way you're looking on uh, to logic and what we're trying to achieve here. Uh, but some of the things you mentioned, Dale, about this being embedded um, into our MDR portfolio, and that, you know, that's exactly what this is. This is um, not a separate product that we're wanting to sell as an add-on. This is something that we think is essential to complete that um, you know, managed detection and response It's really that response piece that we're trying to complete now. You know, we already have a, a range of, of services and tools that cover that risk mitigation, making sure your attack surface is as small as possible and then also helping you respond to threats in a timeliest manner as possible. And then this uh, automated response is, is embedded into this platform that already has a lot of the, the building blocks laid for us. So you touched on uh, threat intelligence, and yeah, that's something that is, is inherent in our platform. It's, it's basically the, the, the petrol that keeps this engine going. Uh, without constant updates and maintenance and curation of threat intelligence, you know, we're, we're, we're slipping behind the attackers who are always moving um, forward. And, and so that, that's already you know, part of the platform. The incidents that we will raise are already informed by threat intelligence, our analysts have got the most cutting-edge threat intelligence from public-private feed as well as the stuff we've gleaned from our own insight into 4,000-plus you know, customers and the, the massive data like that gives us. Um, and so for us then, it was really just connecting that that as a trigger because already that's a really high-fidelity trigger. It's something that's been enriched with threat intelligence. It's something that is triaged by a human analyst. And now you can have that the confidence that that is already a validated alert that you then want to take a response to. Um, and he you said, yes, we're rolling this out you know, free, of, free of charge to our customers. There's no additional bolt-on. And I think that's something that you've seen historically with us as well. We've rolled out file integrity monitoring um, for no additional cost. And that's really because our outcome for our customers is reducing the likelihood of an attack ever occurring and then limiting the blast radius um, of an attack if it does occur. Because we do need to take that attitude that a compromise is inevitable. It's not if, it's when. Um, So yeah, I think it's great that you kind of picked up on that. And uh, we're talking about integrations. There are a lot of integrations needed to get the most out of this. And that is something we're taking away from our customers. Yes, we have those API custom HTTP requests they can push out if they want to do an integration with a, a tool that maybe they built themselves. But for things like their EDR vendors, their firewalls, we, we're going to integrate with all the big players that our customers use. And that's something that we're going to be continuously developing and improving as, as we focus on um, SOAR. I think the phrase that was used by um, one of the, the, the engineers as I was talking to him was that rising water raises all boats. And as we find new integrations, as we find new use cases, often taken from our SOC analysts or indeed from our customers and how they're using it, all of our customers are going to benefit from this, even if they themselves don't touch um, the actual playbooks themselves or kind of leave them them be for a while.
0: To get into something slightly more technical, what separates an automated response action from an intelligent automated response? And I I guess a, a different way of saying this is also, what makes an automated response intelligent? Can you just pick through that a little bit for us, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that we wanted to focus on because you know you can facilitate an automated response, um, but if you if it's not based upon intelligence for the trigger that 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 starts that process at the beginning, and if it's not responding in an intelligent way, if it's just very linear, then um, you're going to get a reduced capability, and it's very difficult to prescribe, say, a playbook that fits every single one of my assets um, and that fits every single type of an instance. So. Intelligent response is first about having, having faith in the triggers, and I think I kind of touched on that and the kind of triage and enrichment that we do in Alert logic. The next stage then is creating additional conditions. So I might be happy to um, knock my CEO's laptop offline if an incident occurs in the middle of the night where he shouldn't be working. I might absolutely never want to do that if it's during business hours and so being able to add in these different conditions and then be able to kind of fork out the the workflow so if it's true if it is outside of business hours let's move to this right hand path and carry on down there if it's false let's move down the left hand path and maybe take some different actions so it's about having all those those different conditions to to trigger the automated response but I think also intelligence you know you want to lean on the intelligence of, of, of those who you, you kind of trust. And that's what you know, Logic is really trying to achieve here. And so when we sit down with our customers in the initial deployments phase, um, as well as revisiting this continuum, we do the security value reports and reassessments. We're looking to identify areas we think this is a great scenario for you to have a response because we, we've learned this lesson in the SOC or we've learned this from other customers. And so we're, we're kind of sharing that intelligence as well so they can have the confidence that the responses they're defining are, are indeed intelligent.
0: And Fran,
2: I'm sure you'll have something to say on this too, so please give us your thoughts. You asked about intelligent automated response. I do think it requires a combination of both technology and human expertise. The thing that makes it more intelligent is the use of artificial intelligence in the form of machine learning in order to improve the decision-making process. And this is based on algorithms that are used to create models that show the risks associated with certain activity to guide the best response. But then, as we said with automated response earlier, the use of expert guidance is what makes it even more intelligent based on decisions that they're getting from this advanced technology that puts them in a better place to really do an effective guidance for their customers.
1: And I've I've been lucky enough to be in security for long enough to start to see that AI and machine learning be applied to detections. And all of a sudden, I went from having to deal with 90% of my alerts being SQL injections to only 10% of them because we're able to, you know, get the machine learning to pick out those that are likely to be successful. That's a great point. You also tied in machine learning AI with human element. And I think, although some technology, some tools, will promise you that automation is a complete replacement for people Um, that's never the case you know your ai and and machine learning is fantastic at pointing your analysts to where they need to look quicker increasing that time to detect an incident what it can't be is a replacement for that analyst and eliminating all of your alerts because there's always going to be those kind of edge use cases that need to be seen. Human expertise, unfortunately, we're always going to be in with a job, uh, even if automation and AI machine learning does get so good because you still need that human backstop for those more high-value um, triage analysis tasks, particularly when it comes to things like like threat hunting and those unanticipated zero-day threats, for example.
0: You've both presented very, very good cases for the technology, but when it comes to customers deciding what kind of measures they want to implement, how can you really make sure that they've got faith in an automated response uh, playbook? Because it's something that they'll have to think carefully about, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things I like to advocate a lot is bringing more stakeholders than you might initially think into the security conversation. And actually, Automate Response is a fantastic scenario for that, because it, with these kind of visualisation of the workflows of, of what's going to happen in the event of, of incident X or incident Y, even the non-technical stakeholders, maybe they're the business owners or maybe they're the IT focus rather than security focus, can see how these things are, are going to work. And so by bringing everybody in, they will have faith into that this is defined as, as we want it to be. Set up and that we're comfortable with those actions, and it really removes that problem of an analyst, a junior analyst perhaps, being finding alert in the middle of the night. They know the right action is to take something offline, but they haven't have that prescribed to them already, um, in which case they might sit there kind of nervously knowing, oh, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I don't do this because I'm not supposed to take things offline, even though I know from a security standpoint, you know, that's, that's the right thing to do. So I think that's, that's a great starting point. And then the other thing we've, we've touched on earlier as well is, is having those um, approval mechanisms. You know, when you first define a polybook, just have that approval mechanism in it. The mobile app that we have makes that really easy. But... You need to have faith then. And if you review the history of all the playbooks, you can see, right, the last 10 times it fired, I approved it nine times out of 10. Do you know what? I'm comfortable now to, to delete that step and we can have a fully automated process. The other thing I think is being able to turn this off, you know, because automation, it can go rogue and you can it can go beyond what you expected if you hadn't anticipated something. And so being able to quickly disable a playbook uh, in a very easy manner and also re-enable it when you're happy to have it back online. It's super important to give customers the the faith to use these playbooks.
2: And Fran, what are your thoughts please? One of the benefits of using an MDR provider is that they do gain a fairly intimate knowledge of each customer's environment and what security outcomes they're looking to achieve so they can actually work with, as Josh said, a wide range of stakeholders within the organisation. And this really is imperative that this is done up front, from simple things like defining what constitutes an incident and its criticality and severity. What would they like to focus on first? And then what constitutes a resolved incident? Is it just when a threat is blocked or has it been eliminated? It's not only what you do up front, you also need to do follow-up root cause analysis and assign actions to ensure that it does not become a repeat incident and make sure that this is documented and available to everyone on the team. And it's also essential when following playbooks that everyone on the incident response team is familiar with their role and you must clearly define what those roles are up front so that people are not duplicating their effort. And it's essential that there's a communications manager on the team to um, make sure that the whole thing runs smoothly. Training and practice are really essential for getting the best out of instant response playbooks. This is something that should be done on a regular basis and any results, again, added to the documentation. I think one further thing to point out is that there should be playbooks that are relevant for different types of incidents that could potentially happen. And they should also include a compliance part of it so that you're not taking actions that are out of compliance with the regulations that you face.
1: I absolutely agree with that, Fran. I think a lot of what you're talking about there is about having that visibility so that it's not hidden from us. We can see what's going to happen. We can see the history um, and also um, then having those those predefined, almost like pre-baked playbooks where here's a, here's a really common security scenario, here's a playbook that's pre-built for you and what you need to do now is just piping a few of the kind of specific uh, integration points with your technology or maybe edit, tweak a few things um, here and there so you've got a great standard point and then having the ability to actually test that you don't have to experience an incident in order to test that response playbook because yeah that's that's a very risky scenario if if you're actually going to wait for an attack to occur for you to be able to check that it's working we have mechanisms that allow you to actually deploy test payloads and you can customize those or we can give them to you and then you can see in practice exactly what would happen if an incident hit the back end and also then we need to be thinking about where we apply these playbooks to asset groups Making sure that you have a predefined list of, of assets. You know, maybe that's your public facing servers. You wanna have a response that's all the same for those. Maybe a response to your dev and test environment. However you want to organize that, you can then organize these assets into groups and apply different playbooks on top of those. And finally then it's the exclusions. You know, making sure that you have lists that, that say, look, don't take this playbook out on these set of hosts because I, I'm not happy with that. That's not a part of my risk appetite. When you actually think about all of these things together and you say sit down with those multiple stakeholders, everybody has, has real confidence in what it is that, that we're doing and it results in actually a much more healthy business environment for security as well. And you mentioned compliance and I, I have to say this, I think I say it every time because I like to think of, let's think of security first because then the compliance kind of follows right behind. But you're right to call out that we do need to know in some scenarios these assets should be excluded because that would Contravene our existing compliance um, requirements on those hosts.
0: I think we've pretty much covered every base, but I'd really love a final thought from both of you. So, Fran, I'll start with you.
2: I think this is the year where we're going to see much more attention paid to instant response. And many threat detection and response have focused more on the detection area. And there hasn't been so much in the response area. But I see this as changing. This automated response and intelligent response are going to make this available to all. And I really see that it's going to not only create a level playing field for enterprises and SMBs and this kind of stuff. It's really going to help in fight against attackers in improving security postures. And Josh, a final thought from you as well, please.
1: Fran's spot on. The logic has spent the last 20 years developing our detection capabilities and really honing that. And we've spent the last two plus years focusing on that automated response piece. And, and I'm really excited to, to to launch this to a wider um, uh, your customer base because we looked at maybe acquiring technology that was out there, um, but what we really wanted was something that worked perfectly, seamlessly with everything that we already have, have put work in developing and managing. And so this is something we've built from the ground off you know, using a few off-the-shelf technologies, but it's very much a proprietary response mechanism. And I'm really excited to see how this um, continues to grow. You know, We've had a long beta program that's really informed how we have developed this, and that's something we're expecting to see continue. And our entire customer base are gonna benefit from that community immunity sort of approach where um, we take lessons from one customer and we scale them out across the rest of them and no additional um, difficulty to the customer.
0: Well, thanks so much both for joining me, Josh and Fran. It's been a really fascinating discussion. And um, I'm sure it's something that people will be talking about, as you said, a lot more in the future. So thank
2: you both. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me. And uh, Fran really enjoyed discussing this and getting into this now. And I'm uh, just hoping that Saw you know, can really take off and, and start soaring for the mid-market now in 2022 and beyond.